Hello and welcome to the Art of Podcast. I'm joined in this episode by football journalist and commentator Matt Davis-Adams to chat commentary, his career, and a little bit on the iconic James Richardson. Enjoy. Thank you for joining me today, Matt. Uh, do you want to talk us through a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm a football commentator and podcaster. Um, I'm freelance, so that means I'm self-employed rather than work for anybody specifically. But my main clients are Chelsea TV, who I cover their first team and, and a lot of the youth team and women's games for. Uh, I also do podcasts for the Totally Football Show and the Totally Football League Show. And I do some work for TalkSport and on women's football too. Perfect. And I suppose we should start with the changes that have happened for you during this uh, COVID stuff. Um, obviously, as you say, you're a freelancer. So I'm assuming it's massively affected your work and everything else that goes on in your life. Yeah, hugely. Um, I mean, professionally, I can still do podcasts, um, like I'm talking to you now from my bedroom, which is not the ideal setup. Um, but at least it's something. But the lack of live football is a big problem because that's where I do most of my work and, and earn most of my money. So yeah, it's not, obviously, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But um, it has been challenging working on a on a vastly reduced income. But I'm quite lucky that my wife's still able to do her job. So we are at least not both out of work at the moment. Yeah, um, I was listening to a podcast you did with another journalist, I think it's George Murray, and you mentioned that you're a, a father of a two-year-old, is that right? Is that one of the blessings, a little bit almost, of getting to work from home when you do your podcasts, is you get to spend a lot of time with your, your kids now? Sometimes it's a blessing, yeah. No, you know, gen <laughs> generally, it's been great, actually, because obviously he's off nursery at the moment. Um, my wife is actually off for a couple of weeks to help out, but it has been just me and him most of the daytime, which is, it's been great. It's been really good to get to spend that time with him. It's a shame we can't really do much other than go to the same park every day, but that's just the way that it is. But yeah, that's definitely been a benefit. And if I can, I want to take us back to the beginning. Um, did you always want to be a journalist, a uh, commentator, etc.? Was that always the plan for you right back at university age? So, Oh, yeah, long before that, to be honest. It was always, it was always commentary rather than journalism. Obviously, podcasts weren't a thing there, but I was probably, I don't know, eight when I first decided that that was what I wanted to be. And it was purely because I knew that I wasn't ever going to be anywhere near good enough at football, and I thought that it would be the second best thing to do. Um, so yeah, that's where it came from and, and just never went away really. And I studied broadcast journalism at uni, which kind of helped. Um, but yeah, th there was only one thing that I ever wanted to do. It took me a long time to get in a position where I could call it a full-time job, but, but yeah, I'll, before, before coronavirus, I was <laughs> able to do that. <laughs> and so can you talk us through the jobs you've held in the past? Obviously we know you now from, uh, Chelsea and et cetera, but what did you do in the past? What were your previous roles? So when I was about 15, I used to make cups of tea in a local radio station for their sports show on, on Saturdays. And, and then once I left university, I uh, used to read the sports news at weekends for BBC Radio Nottingham. And I used to help produce their Saturday football show too. Uh, and once I've been doing that for a few years, I moved to London in 2007 to work for a company um, which 
was then known as Premium TV, became Performing is now uh, DAZN, and they also own, own Okta, the, the sports rights specialists. And I was producing Premier League content for mobile phones then, so sort of very early days of smartphones. Uh, you could get clips of your goal of goals and stuff on your phone um, for people outside the UK and Ireland. So I would produce those and, and put commentary on them, and, and and that was yeah how I got into into full-time commentating really and then I went freelance in 2010 once I'd got a few contacts and felt that I could sort of sustain it a bit more yeah I mean it's uh it was always one of those things that we could tell when you said you worked for Chelsea that there must have been um a lot of progress through the the ranks I suppose you could call it um since you've been at Chelsea you've obviously been there for many uh, great managers and uh, many fantastic footballers. Can you talk us through some of the experiences you've had, maybe with some of the players, coaches, etc.? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it would take a long time to go through all of them. So I started working in the for Chelsea in the 2011-2012 season, which obviously ended in them winning the, the Champions League. Um, but it wasn't really until Jose Mourinho came back for the second time that I started doing post-match interviews and stuff, which obviously takes you a lot closer into the club and, and to the players and, and, and that kind of thing. And that, that as it was difficult because it meant that I was interviewing Mourinho when it was going wrong in 2015, which wasn't much fun. Um, but it gives you a brilliant look into kind of what goes on behind the scenes and, and, you know, you get to know the players a little bit more. I wouldn't call any of them friends or anything, but it's nice to be able to kind of put a bit of personality to the people that you see out on the pitch. So that that was something that that I really enjoyed. And yeah, just yeah. I mean, the the amount of stuff that they've won in the time I've been covering them is crazy. I'm a I'm a Forest supporter, as you, you probably know. And we won a few league cups when I was a child, but I've got nowhere near any kind of success <laughs> since then. So it is quite nice to be able to piggyback onto the onto the success of of Chelsea during these last few years you should try being a whole city fan it's uh, <laughs> it's far more barren I can tell you but um a lot of people who've maybe seen the clips will recognize your voice especially from that Hazard solo goal against Arsenal can you talk us through the the commentating of a moment like that which is now very widely shared yeah, it's it's interesting that because that is something that has evolved in the job as long as I've been doing it. Whereas, you know, I was kind of taught that you're commentating on the whole match. So you need to think about that and the context of it when the goals go in and stuff. But these days, you do have to think that this could be clipped up and used on Twitter and it is taken out of context. It's no good me talking about something that happened 15 minutes earlier in 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 that particular goal because people won't remember that in five years time when they watch the clip. But that one, that goal you were talking about, the Hazard one, that, I loved that goal and I loved commentating on it, but I thought that my actual commentary is pretty ropey because when he scores, I just kind of go, Ugh! and that's because of taken by surprise. And that was the thing that I loved about getting to watch Hazard. I mean, he's definitely my favourite player that I've ever seen live. He was just mm. so much fun to watch and he was so good. But that goal, I remember my co-commentator, Clive Walker, who was a winger, played a similar kind of style to Hazard, actually, albeit years ago. And uh, Pat Nevin was also up in the gantry with us that day. And they were just gobsmacked. We, we were all just, you know, for people like me and you, Sam, we could never dream about doing anything like that. But to watch ex-footballers kind of go, wow, I could never have done that either, was really, really special. And for it to come in a big game too was great. And, and I think I actually preferred the goal he got against West Ham last season. But the Arsenal one was obviously a bigger game and, and sort of meant a bit more, I think. 
Yeah. And I suppose now also you mentioned that you do the work on the Women's Super League as well. Can you talk us through the differences between commentating on those two? Because obviously for critics, um, because sadly there still are a lot, um, the women's game is considered lesser and so on. Um, but obviously for you, you work in both strands of the game. What are your thoughts on both sports, I suppose? Well, women's football is far harder to commentate on because it's much harder to do the research and the prep for it because it just isn't the information about the players that there is about the men's game. And, and you know, for Premier League games, the Premier League send out a stat pack to commentators, which has got everything you could ever possibly want in it. And that information, even basic information for some of the women's players, doesn't exist. You know, it can be difficult to find out their past career, their goals record, things like that. So that makes it much more difficult. And in terms of difference in the game, there isn't as much as people say there is, but aesthetically it looks very different because that it's played in, in small stadiums in front of small crowds and that just gives it a different feel. But there are there are obviously tactical and technical differences in, in the way that the game's played purely because of you know the, the different kind of physiques of, of men and women and it's like, I mean, I think my attitude is always that football is football. So whether it's Premier League, League Two, WSL or, you know, Bolivian Third Division, there's still something that you can enjoy about watching it if you like football. And, and yeah, the, I mean, women's football was banned in this country until the 1950s. It's kind of crazy to think about. But some people don't like it. That's fine. It's up to them. They don't have to watch it. I think if you're just missing out on something. If you like football, it's another yeah. form of football you can watch. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm massively in the same boat as you there. Um, I think it's something that I have... I don't personally spend a lot of time watching it, but I know around World Cups and especially England internationals, there is more traction towards watching it. Um, I suppose... I'm, am I right in thinking you've helped out with... Obviously, you mentioned the Totally Football show and the Totally Football League show, but you also help out with the offside rule. Is that right? Yeah, I've done that a few times. Um, I did a few during the World Cup, particularly, um, and that you know that's obviously a great resource for people looking to get into women's football. That's something that I'd recommend people listen to their WSL edition, um, if and when the WSL season starts up again. Mm, absolutely. Now, obviously, just mentioned uh, them both. The Totally Football Show and the Totally Football League Show is perhaps where most people will have heard you. Um, What's it like working with James Richardson? Um, because for a lot of people, uh, he was very iconic with uh, Golazzo in the 90s. Um, what's it like working with him and the rest of the team? It was very intimidating to start with. I'll be honest with you, it was intimidating because, you know, particularly for, for people of my age, I'm 38, I used to watch Football Italia every Saturday and Sunday on Channel 4. And, and, that's not the only reason why it's intimidating. James is just brilliant at his job. And you know that you've got to kind of, you've got to be at a certain level for him to take you seriously. And you, you, there's no, with all the totally shows, you can't bluff your way through them. You have to know your stuff because we don't want to insult the audience and we want it to be as good as possible. Um, so yeah, well, once I got used to working with James and, and now that I am, it's, it's an absolute pleasure because he's, he's a really nice fella for one thing, but he's an absolutely brilliant broadcaster. Um, and everybody else on it is fantastic too. You know, they really are. There's, there's nobody who uh, I'm ever on a show with that I think, oh, it's not going to be as good today because they are on it. It's a really, really well-picked group of people and, and you know, kind of ever-expanding and, and everybody on it earns their place on it. And, and 
the, the company as a whole, Money News Media, who run it, are just fantastic. You know, we spoke about the loss of income that I've suffered. Well, they knew that, and they know that I'm the only commentator who works for them. Most of the other guys are writers, or they work for companies who are, you know, protecting their income at the moment. And so they said to me that I could do every Sunday show for the last two months and normally they'd rotate it but they know that I need the money and they don't have to do that and obviously they think I can offer something to their show too but they are kind of genuinely caring about their we're not even employees you know we're contractors and, and they are my favorite company to work for <laughs> yeah um I've been enjoying listening to the the quizzes I don't want to bring it up it might be a scarring memory <laughs> yeah, <I> for <laughs> you but <laughs> but um obviously when we listen and we hear people like Michael Cox and Jack Lang, you, you sort of can tell the level of intellect and it's always fascinating when you get the, the, the lot of you on. And obviously, as you say, you used to rotate. It's always interesting just how much different stuff comes from the different people being on. Um, so to take it from Muddy Knees Media, you also feature on The Athletic, don't you? You're on the Straight Out of Cobham uh, Chelsea podcast. What's that like working with a different team of journalists? Yeah, that's been, that's been a really interesting one. And again, you know, I'm very grateful to The Athletic for keeping going with the podcasts uh, throughout this. It's, um, it's a shame because I felt like we were just hitting our stride with it when coronavirus hit. And, and a big part of building up a good podcast is developing relationships and rapport with each other and, and on the athletic it is generally the same three guests every week uh, Dominic Fifield, Simon Johnson and Liam Toomey. Liam and Simon are specific Chelsea writers for the athletic and, and Dom covers all of of London football. Um, I was on nodding terms with, with two of them before the pod started and I didn't know Dom at all so it obviously took us a while to get to know each other and and, and develop that kind of rapport which is much more difficult for us to do now because we're not seeing each other while we do it we're all in our houses and um, trying to build it up but I think we're, we're getting better and better and, and we're developing a, a nice show um, it's doing pretty well in terms of figures compared with the other athletic shows it's, it's right up there which we're pleased about and, and we hope it'll carry on developing but it's been great for the athletic to have to have basically given us a blank sheet of paper and said come up with a podcast and, and we'll tell you if we don't like it and so far they haven't said that so um so so far so good but, but as you said you know with michael and jack who both work for the athletic james horncastle rapper honigstein lots of people who are on totally like totally you need to know your stuff particularly to be a writer for the athletic it's a bit, bit different presenting a podcast but um yeah those guys are super intelligent <laughs> <laughs> um so to bring it back to your work at Chelsea, as you've mentioned already, you're a, you're a Forest fan. Um, do you find it easier or more difficult to commentate on the Chelsea games as a supporter of another team? Or is it easier for sort of, you've not got your biases coming into play as you're going along? I think it's it's definitely I don't I, I certainly Chelsea have played Forest in the FA Cup a couple of times over the last few years and I've not enjoyed commentating on that because um, not because I want to be supporting Forest necessarily but because I know they're not going to win and I'm being paid by the other side but <laughs> yeah. it's um, it's it's it, it, it to start with it was much easier to be impartial on Chelsea and to, to see it as a straight commentary. But as the years have gone by and I've got a relationship with the club and people who work there and, you know, I've watched every game that they've played for eight years, it's going to make you have a vested interest in them. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for me at the moment because it is Chelsea TV that I'm working for. So they expect a certain level of 
not biased, but you know, a favourable slant towards <laughs> towards the club. What what that means if and when I leave Chelsea and go somewhere else, I'm not sure. Um, but I'd like to think that people can realise that I'm neutral when I need to be. I can commentate on a, a Derby County game and not spend the whole ninety minutes booing and hissing. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I suppose that's a, it's one of those things that people don't realise. Obviously, a lot of rival fans to Manchester United complain about Martin Tyler. Um, can you see sometimes why they criticise him? Or is it to you, as a commentator, a bit sort of like just shouting into the wind for the sake of it? Well, I understand why people come and... Um, criticise commentators and broadcasters in general because there are some that I don't like and that's just a personal preference. I think it would be fairly ludicrous to suggest that Martin Tyler is biased towards Man United or, or anybody else. You know, Martin Tyler's been working in football for 50 years and he works for Woking. If he's biased to anyone, it's going to be Woking. Um, but as I say, some people just don't like the sound of my voice or Martin Tyler's voice or what they've got to say or, or what have you. But there aren't commentators who are biased towards the team they support I think I was kind of conscious of it being public who I support but I made the decision to to go with it and reveal it because um, I wanted to write about Forest, which I've been able to do for some some fanzines and stuff and, and appear on other podcasts but also it's easier for me to do that like it would be for you when you support a provincial club in the championship if it came out that I supported Man United and I was the Chelsea TV commentator, that would be a problem. If I later then went on to commentate for Sky or BBC or whoever on a Man United game, again, that would be a problem. But outside of Derby and Nottingham, no one really cares about Forest and gets wound up about them. So I feel it's, it's fine for that to be public knowledge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, for someone that supports all City, there's not much that I can you know, show bias unless I'm doing a City game, You know, maybe Leeds, but... Even then, I I can maybe put it to a side for 90 minutes. But mm. yeah, um, so obviously there's talks now, football coming back next month. Um, we're seeing the Bundesliga and we get to watch the idea that we might be seeing implemented in this country. What are your thoughts on how it's been implemented over there? And do you like behind closed doors stuff? I don't think anybody really likes it. I think it's going to be difficult when I start commentating on it again to get to get into a flow of not using the crowd noise as your kind of background noise. Um, but I do think that it needs to happen. I think in Germany, they're obviously miles ahead of us uh, in Britain in terms of how they've dealt with the coronavirus pandemic. But it needs to happen in, in the Premier League purely to fulfil these TV contracts. It's going to be a really messy situation with a lot of EFL clubs the Premier League can't afford to have something similar happen. So it sort of almost, whether we like it or not, is irrelevant. It's going to happen. You know, that as long as there's not some massive outbreak in the next round of testing or before they get towards games, they're going to do all they can. And like a lot of things in, in the world in 2020, we're just going to have to get used to it. It's not the way that it was last year and it might be this way for, for a long time. So some football is better than no football, but I've not been massively into the Bundesliga since it came back. But that's not a league that I ever followed particularly closely anyway. So I'm hoping it'll be different with the Premier League. Yeah, I suppose for a lot of English fans, it's the first time they've extensively watched something other than potentially the Premier League or the EFL. So getting used to it is, um, as you say, it's weird. But I I was uh, 
sort of startled to see that the commentators were doing it from home. Um, I, I am blown away by the ability to, for them to see the game and keep going at live pace from such a distance. Is that something that you could see happen in this country or would you hope to be back in the ground to do your work? Certainly hope to be back in the ground, but I don't know how realistic that is. I mean, it might be one thing getting into into Stamford Bridge. Um, even then, I presume that I would have to take a, a coronavirus test and I certainly wouldn't be doing any post-match interviews or getting anywhere near the players. Um, but, you know, the truth is a lot of football commentary is done from a studio, which is not that different to doing it at home. The, the phrase they use in the industry is off-tube. So the games that you get on BT anyway you know, Bundesliga games or whatever, or Italian games, very rarely will they be done from the stadium because it's too expensive is the, is the long and short of it. And, you know, it's the same for um, a lot of women's Super League, league games that I do. You, you go to a studio and you get a, a feed of the game on a monitor and you commentate on that. And it's not ideal. And it's much more difficult than doing it live. Um, things like you can't see if the referee's assistant's got their flag up because it's not in your shot. Uh, you might not get a replay. Uh, the cameraman might have been pointing his camera the wrong way. It's it's not ideal, but I think that because so many, particularly the commentators, BTUs and myself, have done a lot of these commentaries where you're in a studio rather than at the ground, they should be able to to adapt it pretty quickly. But you had uh, Paul Dempsey who did the first game, the, the Dortmund game they showed last weekend, had a, a Tesco delivery man banging on his door throughout his commentary. Apparently, so little things like that, you know, I've done been doing podcasts over the last few weeks when my dog started barking or my son's just wandered in and, and that's the kind of thing that they don't really teach you in journalism school yeah. yeah I suppose that's one of the things we've been learning is just if something like that happens you just have to go on with it it's like when the uh, Korean expert was on the BBC and his kids came storming mm. in you just you have to deal with it how you can um, now I'd like to talk about some future aims that you might have. Um, obviously, let's say football's back and everything goes swimmingly. What what are your aims for the future? What what sort of big plans have you got for your career? Is there anything you want to do that's maybe not in the picture at the moment? Or the the one thing that I've always wanted to do is to get on match of the day. That was the one goal that I set myself when I when I started, and and I was lucky enough to get to do that earlier in the year in the FA Cup. And I want to do it in the Premier League, which I would think would kind of be like a full debut. And I think I was probably reasonably close to that before the pandemic happened. But I think what's going to happen now is that you'll find that I'll be near the back of the queue because there'll be a lot more experienced people than me who they've used before who haven't worked in months. Um, so that remains an ambition of mine. But honestly, I'd like to be the BBC's lead commentator or replace Martin Tyler or anything like that. But but really, and I think, again, the, the pandemic has kind of brought this into focus for me. I just want to be able to sustain this as a career for the rest of my working life, which is, mm -hmm. look, you know, it's going to be another 30 years or so. It's going to be difficult to do that. So realistically, my ambition is to just keep making making a living doing this. But yeah, I'd love to commentate on the World Cup final on BBC One as well. Yeah, that, that would be a, a huge thing. I'm sure a lot of people looking into the same career that you've got are thinking the same. So, yeah, um, let, let's talk about that. Do you have any tips for people who are looking at going into commentary or journalism itself? Yeah, I, I mean, the main thing is to do, you know, we spoke about how I got started and it was just making cups of tea. And if you, 
you need to badger people, people who, who work at radio stations. Um, you need to try and get in as early as possible. I do think that there are a lot of people these days graduating from journalism and sports journalism courses, hundreds, if not thousands, all wanting to do the same job. So I think actually practical experience is probably as valuable as a degree. So if you can get into a radio station or a TV company or any kind of broadcaster early on, and once you're there, you know, if you get a week's work experience, make sure that they remember you. It's okay to be the annoying person, keeping asking people for things to do and, and asking them what they're doing. That's better than sitting quietly in the corner and being a wallflower because that's not going to get you anywhere. So you need to be forceful about what you're doing. And, but you also need to be realistic. You know, you're not going to leave school and then get a job commentating for the BBC. You are going to have to start at the bottom. You might have to work for free for a bit. Things like, um, providing commentary audio description for um blind people who go to games blind and partially sighted supporters most clubs will offer audio description um as as part of their their kind of service um for blind and partially supported partially sighted supporters so that's a good way of getting in but also you know, local radio that's the key thing except that you're not going to make much money for a while it's going to take you a long time but if you persist and you've got some natural ability you should be able to get somewhere yeah, I, I really, obviously, as someone doing journalism myself, I, I appreciate those tips, as I'm sure anyone listening who is doing the same sort of thing as me does as well. Can you tell us a little bit, obviously, we've mentioned the stuff you do, just to round us off, tell us where people can find your work, uh, especially during this time, that might fill some of the void of, you know, just sitting at home or sitting in the garden. Can tell us where they'll find you? Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Matt Davis Adams. And in terms of work at the moment, uh, the Athletic Podcast, which is straight out of Cobham, that drops every Tuesday morning. You can get that wherever you get podcasts. And if you are a subscriber to the Athletic, you can listen through the app and it has the ads taken out. And the Totally Football Show is, uh, we record it on Sunday nights now and it comes out first thing on Mondays. I'm on the Sunday shows for now. And we hope to bring back the Totally Football League show as and when uh, the EFL resumes. So that is that has traditionally been a Wednesday show, um, which will come out. And then, yeah, once the Premier League gets going, um, you can hear me commentating on, on Chelsea games via their app, which is the fifth stand. And you can watch all the games and highlights and goals on there for free. Same with WSL. That's on WSL Player and, and on the BBC as well. Wonderful. Thank you very much for joining me, Matt. Pleasure, Sam.